Welcome to the Modern CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping accounting firms achieve success. If you're an accounting firm owner who wants to learn how to grow your firm by providing virtual CFO services, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Every once in a while, in our email, we get an email about a podcast that that really just um, makes it makes us think. And so, the email that I got from our our guest today said, um, "What eating kale for two weeks taught her about the accounting profession." So, once we saw that profe- that email, we really had to bring her on. So today, we are joined by Geraldine Carter. I'm going to let her do her introduction, but um, she has, she does a lot of things. She has a podcast called Smart Strategy for CPAs. She has a website. Um, she has a lot of uh, stuff she does. So I'll let Geraldine kind of go into everything she does. But uh, Geraldine, if you want to do a quick introduction to yourself before we learn about how kale is related. To the accounting profession. Yeah. And hi, Jamie. Hi, Jody. Hi, Adam. It's great to be with you guys. So my work is one-on-one with CPAs and accountants to help them shift from tax factory to more high-level virtual fractional CFO services, advisory services, and get out of the hamster wheel and the trap that's created by hourly billing and being a generalist. So that's the work that I do as a coach and consultant one-on-one with CPAs. Great. So you want How to many, talk uh, about, how many uh, CPAs are you working with right now? I am working with eleven. I have capacity for one more. Nice, nice. Oh, it's like an ongoing relationship. Like you, you're meeting with them on a regular basis, and yeah. So I do. I start off with a four month intensive to get through a bunch of material and really and help them get results quickly, so that they can start to feel the momentum and the the direction change. Because I think a lot of times it's easy to get caught in the belief that, you know, this will never change. I'm just stuck in this tax factory. I'm trapped. And what I want is for them to have the experience of actually, no, you can really shift your business and you can shift it quite quickly if we focus on it and we free up your time to allow and allow, allow you to focus on shifting your business and getting out of the, being the technician all the time. Great. So you want to give us, I know, um, again, I talked about your website a little bit, but do you want to hit that right away so people know where to find you? Because I'm sure they're going to love all the information you give in this podcast. I want to make sure they know how to, to find you right away there. So, Yeah, sure. So they can find my website at shethinksbigcoaching.com and they can find the podcast at smartstrategyforcpas.com. And if you just search smart strategy in your podcast app, it'll pop up. Awesome. Great. So let's, um, before you uh, go too far into the story, I'm curious when you mentioned the word, you know, tax factory, let's, let's talk a little bit about what that means and what, what you see in, in that area. Yeah. So a lot of the people who come to me will say, I feel like I'm on a treadmill. I'm running on a hamster wheel. I'm getting nowhere and I'm just churning out compliance work all the time. And it's not work. I, you know, I used to like compliance, but now I do so much of it and I'm so buried underneath it that I don't even like it anymore. I don't even, I don't, I've started not even liking my business and, you know, I work all the time. And then on the weekends I catch up and there's like, there's just no end in sight. Right. And of course, 2020 and 2021 delivered a rather special experience for CPAs that just exacerbated the whole situation. So what happens, there are three main problems. There are plenty of challenges in the, in the accounting profession, but the ones that I deal with primarily are being a generalist and doing too many things for too many different kinds of clients, focusing on deliverables instead of outcome transformations, and billing by the hour instead of pricing. And those three things conspire to create a trap that's really difficult that can seem insurmountable out of. Great. 
Okay. So let's, um, I think that, that, I think all of us can relate to that. I think, um, obviously all three of us have been in, in different, um, accounting firms and seen different accounting firms and all of us can relate to probably one or two of those, those, those issues and have seen them across the board, um, either in firms we were in or people we've, we've talked to in, in the, in the accounting world. So I am excited to get to the, the kale story because I've been waiting a couple of weeks to actually hear it. So why don't you, <laughs> why don't you explain to me how kale, um, relates to the accounting world? Before you do yeah. that real quick, when I saw it, I, I thought you said, what what eating a whale in two weeks taught me about accounting <laughs> that's what got me that's what got me excited about it. I, I i misread the kale I, part. I, I i think i got the punchline they both make you sick <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah i don't know i had to eat the kale because i ate all so much whale <laughs> yeah now i need to go out of fat that's Dr. Seuss so, podcast. <laughs> right. Yes, that's the next episode. So uh, basically, I had an autoimmune dis uh, disorder since I was little. And I went to all kinds of physicians and they prescribed me steroids and, you know, prescriptions and all the rest for years, decades. And um, to, you know, to reduce the pain and all the rest. And then when I was 42, I went to, things got kind of bad. And I went to my physician and I told her, you know, I can't, I can barely push the buttons on the microwave in the morning. It feels like walking across shards of glass when I get out of bed and all the rest. And um, she's like, hmm. So now's where we have the, the talk with capital T's about putting you on um, auto, basically suppressing your entire immune system for the rest of your life so that your joints don't fuse. Oh, wow. We don't want that. And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm not ready for my joints to fuse either. So can we avoid that? And, um, and she, you know, told me about all the drugs and everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, that doesn't sound really great. I don't think I'm ready for my hair to fall out as a side effect. How about you give me six weeks to go home? I'm going to throw the book at this thing from every angle I possibly can. And if in six weeks, I can't find anything that shows signs of improvement, I'll come back. We'll talk about these biologic injectable drugs. And she said, okay, deal. So I went home. I had, I was, had some other irons in the fire that I was kind of researching and looking at, but basically it amounted to scrubbing my diet down to kale, coconut, cauliflower rice, you know, just super simple. And after 35 years of being in pain, you know how long it took for me to notice the difference? You're not going to guess. So I'll give it to you. It took two weeks in two, two weeks. I started to notice. Yeah. Two weeks. Wow. It's all it took. And in four months, I was 95% better. I went back to the physician. She's like, huh, looks like we don't have to use these drugs. And I was like, great. And I haven't been on prescription medicine since. And that was two and a half years ago. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So yeah, it's awesome. And I can tell you that I feel like a champion compared to how I used to feel. I'm sure. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have to suppress my entire immune system and all the risks that that comes with and all the rest. Um, and it just got me thinking about, you know, this, the solution was so obvious. It was right under my nose the entire time. And it just got me thinking about walking right past solutions that are really easy, that are really straightforward, but we almost don't see them because of a couple of things. We're trained to think differently. We're trained to, we're trained to look for complex solutions we're taught to believe that it couldn't be possibly be that simple. And when you think about MDs, these are well-trained, well-educated, licensed individuals who have worked hard to gain all their knowledge. And yet she walked right past, and countless others too, right? Walked mm -hmm. right past a really obvious solution. 
And when I look at the accounting profession, same thing, super well-educated, well-trained, putting in lots of years, licensed, and all that, like, are they, do they suffer sometimes from the same kind of, let's just say blinders because they're so well-trained and thinking that the solution has to be complicated and nobody else could possibly come up with it, that they walk right past easy solutions. What I find with my clients as CPAs, when we start working together is I walk them through this exercise that is, you know, if you could have your way with one of your best clients and get them to do all the things that you know, they need to do. And they know they need to do, but they're just not doing it. And you had time to implement and execute and make sure that all the boxes got checked and and everything, what would you do? And they list out six to eight standard things that they would look for, you know, stones that they would turn over to make sure that they're capturing all the possible tax benefits, making sure expenses or expense leaks are plugged, um, ERC, PPP, and, you know, a few other things. And then I ask them, you know, how much do you think this would save your client if you were able to do all these things and actually get them to make the changes that they know they need to make in their business too. And they rattle off a bunch of numbers and I capture the whole thing in a spreadsheet and typically it's a range. And then I kind of backfill the numbers and I say, you know, for example, I was doing this with a client recently who's a CPA for practice physicians who has, who has clients with three, 4 million in revenue. And the numbers added up to $500,000 to $750,000 a year in potential tax savings, plus expense leaks, plus taking advantage of real estate options, da, da, da. And I asked her, you know, so what's keeping you from preventing, from helping your clients save half a million or three quarters of a million dollars? Because for a lot of people, you know, that's real money. And the answer is always the same as I'm so busy. I don't have time. I don't, you know, I don't have time to meet with them. I'm not sure how we plan this out. They wouldn't do their things. And there's a, a list of reasons, you know, reasonable sounding and legitimate sort of, if it weren't for the fact that we're talking about a half a million dollars. So this got me started, you know, once I saw this pattern across multiple clients that the typical savings range from 10% to 20% of annual revenue. This was a key piece of me transitioning how I work with my clients to help them ensure that they capture that value on their client's behalf and that they're being compensated for it. Because this is the easy money that it's almost too obvious. It's just sitting right there and it's too easy to think, oh, you know, I've got to find something complicated. If it's not a complicated solution, then it's not, you know, it might not be good enough. So this is what the simplicity of eating kale, coconut cream, and cauliflower rice for a bunch of weeks and finding a simple solution, what appear to be complex has helped me, has helped me think my shifting about what I see in the accounting profession. You know, I I love that a lot because it, it, it wasn't like you went in trying to figure it out. Something event, event-wise happened to you in order for you to kind of think a different way, right? And with, with us, it was it was the exact same thing. You know, we we didn't we, we came into the uh, when we started accounting. You know, when we started the practice back in two thousand two. It was one of those things that, yeah, we started doing the traditional accounting stuff, right? We billed by the hour. We did tax returns. Uh, we um, wrapped up their financials at the end of the year. 
you know, just the, the, the boring basic stuff. And I say it's boring and basic because I, I believe it is boring and basic. <laughs> and uh, with that, it wasn't really something that really motivated me any further than that. And I was like, well, what can we do to bet the better, you know, better fit that? Because I kind of got thrown into the, you know, the, you know, the opening up the accounting firm, things aren't working at the prior one, really didn't have any other options. And I, I started this one up and it was like, I, I just don't, this isn't fun. This isn't enjoyable. You know, so it was one of those things that thrust into me. Let's do something that the client can get more benefit out. And that, that to me was, you know, sitting down with them and going through uh, forecasting modeling, you know, doing modeling of, Hey, what well, if you do this and how's your, how's things going to happen? You know, what's, what's your net income going to look like? What's your cash? More importantly, what's your cash position going to look like, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so it was a continuous thing and, and it spurred back to that. But then when we went to the reoccurring revenue model, you know, that was because we couldn't afford to be a bank. You know, it was one of those things, well, hey, how, what are we going to do? We had to make a big decision. You know, do we close down because we can't afford to be an accounting firm? Because uh, we didn't have all the, the money that a lot of people have coming into it. We were bootstrapping it completely uh, from the very beginning. And we're like, well, how can we do this? And that's when we said, well, let's just simply just charge our clients on a monthly basis and and um, we're going to zap their account every month. And so back in 2004, we're pulling money out of clients' accounts and people are saying, you can't do that. That's, people aren't going to do that. You know, that's unethical. You know, all these different things like, no, it's not. I mean, they agreed upon it before, beforehand. You know, we're taking the exact dollar amount out and it made it really nice, but it allowed us to continue on as an accounting firm. Otherwise, we'd have been stopped in our tracks back then, you know, because we didn't have the money. And it sounds like it, it kind of wrapping back to your story, you know, the, the same thing, right? It was that that shock, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go the, the normal route and really struggle through this? Or am I going to actually make a change? And, and that's, that sounds like that's what you've done. Um, Geraldine, um, one question I had, because um, I think one of the things that you pointed out in that, where you were saying you were listing out the three things that kind of get in people's way is the focus on deliverables rather than outcomes. Um, I think that's interesting because, you know, for a lot of us and in, in including Summit, we focused really heavy, heavily on deliverables in order for it to be scalable. You know, how you productize the service part, the advisory part of the business. And, and I think there's a lot of value to that. The thing is that what I hear a lot about, though, um, whenever it comes to outcomes is clients always ask um, other folks that we're advising too, like, what's the ROI? of this. So whenever you're saying, hey, we're focusing on outcomes rather than deliverables, and we're talking about what we could potentially save people if we do these kind of things, uh, how do you help people answer that question um, whenever they're selling their services and clients naturally ask, okay, what's in it for me? What's my ROI? What, what's your, how do you usually yeah. address that or help folks with that? Yeah. So it's a fair question and an important one because people want a return on their investment, right? And the more you can show that there is a return on that investment, the easier it is to bring on the right kinds of clients. And also we understand that, you know, our clients are different and the ROI isn't going to be the same for anybody. So there's a couple ways at it. One way is to capture a range and actually capture the ROI that your clients are getting, right? And you you guys probably do this, you benchmark, you know where your clients are when they start out, what's their cash flow situation, what's their net, what's on their balance sheet, um, <clears throat> what's their cash flow doing month by month, what's their revenue, all the rest, benchmark it, and then where are they a year later? And track that information. And once you track it across you know, 20 or 50 clients, you've got a reasonable data set for what some... Um, you've got a sample size for what the ROI is across your clients. You can also say, 
look, people who implement get results, but we're not in control of how much or what you implement. But I can tell you that my best clients who implement the stuff that we do and make the difficult changes that we talk about making, and not all changes are difficult, but the ones who do the stuff that we're talking about and implement the advice that we're giving them, our best performing clients see these kind of results. I don't guarantee that because like I said, <laughs> I'm not in control of what choices you make at the end of the day. But if you know, we have a history, we have a track record of clients getting these kinds of results. Is that kind of ROI something that might be of interest to you, right? And of course, if your ROI is solid and you're doing good work for your clients, which it will be, and it, I'm sure that it is, then it becomes a much easier yes. And sometimes your clients, like they want to push back on you and they just need you to push back a little bit against them so that they, they just want to have their concerns assuaged. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I agree. Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, because I, you know, basically when they ask the same thing, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them the same thing. I'll say, well, can't control the outcome, obviously, with what you do. We can only give you advice and tell you how to implement it. But we find that our typical client has a net income of fifteen percent, has at least uh, set, you know, twelve percent of their annualized revenue in the bank. You know, where do you guys, where do you fall in that range? And if they're they're low, well, we'll, we'll try to get you to those levels. That's your ROI, getting you to that. But the other thing is, is that. The ROI comes when things go south, not really when things are successful. You know, do you, you know, because anybody can do a surgery, right? You know, you can have a nurse practitioner do a surgery. You can have a nurse do the surgery, but, you know, do you want somebody, you know, doing that brain surgery for you when things go bad? You know, what, you know, you want the brain surgeon doing that brain surgery. And so that's kind of where, you know, we come in, you know, we're, we're there to kind of build you to the certain levels, but we're also there to be that safety net in the event that, you know, COVID hits again, you know, how, you know, we can be there to help modeling and that sort of thing. And I think the peace of mind is the big ROI that a lot of people are, are looking for outside of the monetary ROI. And that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, you know, you can, you can measure ROI several different ways, like obviously with money, but I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is kind of to Jody's point is the consistency. You know, if you're working with us, you're going to consistently know where your numbers are at. You're going to consistently have someone outside of you looking for, you know, pitfalls that might be coming up, upcoming. And so you keep having someone keep an eye on that. And so that's one of the ROI, ROIs we provide. But in addition to that, you also have someone just to talk to, you know? So I think a lot of small business owners are feel like they're in this world by themselves and they have to make the decisions by themselves. They have to just figure out what's the next step for the business by themselves. And again, they may have a trusted partner, but to have someone on the outside who understands their business just to there to talk to them, to me, having that as a small business owner is a great ROI. And it's, and then it, obviously the third ROI is the um, time, you know, sometimes you have an accounting firm come in and do XYZ for you that you've been doing for the past six months. And it takes you two hours a month, five hours a month and have someone else do that for you. It gives you time to focus on what you really want to focus. So I think that's a lot of times when I'm asked that question is I say, well, of hope, we hope there's going to be a financial ROI. But in addition to that, there's also these other things that you can't pay for that are yeah, more, worth more than money. Yeah. The, the big thing is though, like whenever you're talking about a lot of that stuff, um, most of the time, because we're talking and dealing with accountants, they want to, they want to see the numbers and they want to mm -hmm. see, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, a lot of times we'll steer people away from that. And I, I recommend that if there's going to be one thing that you kind of memorize and kind of get down as an elevator pitch, it's the value you bring and, and in that, what that ROI looks like um, so that you're prepared and you're not kind of fumbling around going, well, you know, you could do it this way and it could be numbers or, you know what I mean? Like, just make sure you practice, like really think about what your value proposition is 
and and what they should what outcomes they should get from working with you and just make sure you kind of know that inside and out and if and be prepared not to quantify it with numbers as we would you know like to do i guess so that's you're, you answered that perfectly that's why i was kind of wondering you know what how you advise people because i'm always just kind of like well <laughs> this is how we do it but <laughs> the, i mean the other piece in here that's valuable is learning how to assess and understand the value of those intangibles and so-called immeasurables that you just mentioned because between the three of you just rattled off consistency, avoiding pitfalls, not feeling like you're alone, being able to make clear decisions, getting your time back and being able to focus. And I would say that in there, there's immeasurable value that is quantifiable in some, you know, not squishy, but um, non-scientific way, but that doesn't mean you can't quantify it by putting a dollar amount to the amount of time you save because you don't have all those things weighing on your head. Yeah, for sure. I think that makes makes a lot of sense. That like, yeah, you can, especially as an accountant, you can find a way to equate anything to money if you, if you really think, <laughs> think through it and take those, take those next steps. So I think that's definitely a, a great point. Are you interested in offering virtual CFO services at your firm or scaling your existing service offerings? The Virtual CFO Playbook, How to Land $60,000 a Year Clients and Provide a Killer Client Experience is an online series of modules that will equip you with essential tools for creating and delivering scalable VCFO services. These approaches have helped Summit CPA grow from $500,000 to upwards of $5 million in revenue over the past decade. If you're ready to grow your firm, visit summitcpa.net slash VCFO playbook to enroll now. So the um, the next section here, I want to get some examples. And so I know um, Jody already kind of mentioned this, but I think the the interesting um, correlation I saw in your story is, you know, if if you told someone like me who um, you know doesn't have the same um, threats that you had in terms of my health, like you know, obviously getting my joints fused and stuff like that, I would have made me probably take the same steps you have. But uh, oftentimes it's someone that's just you know a little unhealthy or just you know I, I could I could spare to lose ten pounds, and you're it's hard to get those people to commit to eating kale and drinking coconut water, and that's all they that's all they do. And so oftentimes it takes a big problem in order for someone to have have to make those decisions. And I think that really equates to accountants. Like if you're running a, a 10% net income business and, and you have $3 million in revenue and you feel like you're doing just fine, you're probably not going to take these, these next steps because they feel drastic to you. But to Jody's point earlier, if you're to the point where you're like, you're just being a bank and you're barely making any money and you have just enough to afford your house payment, then, you know, it takes that drastic step of like, if I don't do something big, then I'm going to have to like, do something completely different. And so um, I'd love to hear some examples of some of the companies that have come to you at that stage and what, what it takes for them to make that step to start eating kale. <laughs> so the, I, I think it would help to kind of swim upstream a little bit on this question because what clients are really buying or what's most valuable to clients is transformations and outcomes right? And the more pain a client is in, the, the bigger the possible transformation, right? If a client is doing this, you know, the example you cited of $3 million and they've got 15% margins and they're swimming along, they're doing fine. And they're in maybe something of like profitable mediocrity, it works, but it's not ideal. That's not, um, their, the transformation, the delta of their transformation will be smaller than somebody who you take from, if I don't make this change now, I'm going to have to close the doors of my business. And then you can transition them to having six months reserve in the bank, being able to save for retirement, giving their employees raises, like that is a huge transformation. And 
to the extent that, so to the extent that you can work with clients where you can provide a really, a, an ex, you're not going to do exceptional all the time, but significant transformations for your clients, it makes it much easier to work with them. It makes it much easier for them to be willing to pay you because the value is there in the transformation. So for examples from my own clients, typically what's going on, especially in the last 18 months is that they are just working like mad and they're working 60 hour weeks, 80 hour weeks. They haven't taken a full day off since March of 2020 and their tax load has just gotten bigger. It hasn't reduced. The tax code has gotten more complex. They're still waiting for guidance. And, you know, now they've got everybody on extension. It's now August. They're still wrapping up 2020 returns. They are just wiped out and there's no end in sight, right? They've got the fall deadline coming and then they're back around to the 2021 starting 2022 tax season. So what does it look like? What do, what do results look like? So we've got to first off, get rid of disengage the clients who are really dragging the firm down. And oftentimes this looks like orphan 1040 tax work that isn't tied to any other business, any other client in the business. And, you know, I'll get pushback from the CPA who's like, but that, that return only takes me 15 minutes and I charge 400 bucks. It's good money, but really it's trap money. It's opportunity cost money because you all know that the margins on doing higher level CFO controller advisory type work are much, much higher than transactional level work. So we need to, we get rid of the, the clients that are slowing the business down. And then we create space. We look for opportunity to add more value to our best clients by providing better services, more solid services that have higher, much higher margins. So in terms of um, actual results, I have a client, for example, who we just started three months ago and she's working 80 hours a week. She has, <clears throat> we meet later this week. I'm going to find out what's up with her, but she's got about half a million dollars worth of fractional CFO work in conversation, which will allow her, it's about a million dollar firm to potentially get rid of you know, half a million dollars worth of compliance work and take her client load from 700 down to like 50. So that's one example. Another example at a smaller scale level is somebody who came to me, not at all enjoying compliance work, loving doing stock option consulting and scenario forecasting like that. And she was, um, her revenue was about 250 in just compliance work. And within the first 12 weeks, she created $100,000 in consulting, stock option consulting work. So about you do the math, like 40% of her annual revenue in consulting work, maybe a little less. Somebody else can do the math on a podcast. Um, another, yeah. <laughs> you're in bad company. <laughs> it, it always goes wrong. <laughs> um, and let's see. So another client who, uh, works with, she's niched into farmers in South Texas and she niched it. So she's doing VCFO services for farmers exclusively five to 10,000 acre farmers. And in her first 12 weeks, she had three contracts worth about $120,000. And those were guinea pig prices because she was, <clears throat> she told me, she's like, we didn't just add one zero to my prices, we added two. So she was a little, you know, uh, uh, not on edge, but disbelieving that her clients were going to pay her this much just because it was a hundred times more what she had previously charged them. 
obviously for different work for different outcomes. Mm-hmm. But um, once she once she got in the groove, her prices are rapidly um, rapidly increasing up to high five figures for fractional CFO services for farmers. So those are just three examples I could give you more. But you know we've got time limit with your episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny when you mention that because right people. I think we're our own victims a lot of times with when it comes to pricing, because, you know, we, we were the same way. We initially priced clients out. We thought, oh, no one will ever spend $20,000 for all this great advice. And, and then we realized, well, we can't be profitable with it. <laughs> you know, so, but, and, then, and then they did pay $20,000. And then so we thought, well, we're still not profitable. So, hey, let's increase our price to 25 or 30. And no one's ever going to do that. We're going to lose so many clients. And I was like, no, we didn't lose any clients. And actually, we've got too many opportunities coming in and we kept increasing our price to where we're at about 60, $65,000. And we're still like, well, no one's ever going to pay more than that. And we, and we, we quote bids all the time for over a hundred thousand dollars. And they think, wow, that's pretty cheap. That's a good deal. And, you know, then, you know, then it's like, well, why didn't we do this in the very beginning? Cause it's not like, you know, the economy changed, you know, from 10 years ago to now that it, it went from 15,000 is the norm now, you know, 60,000 because we just, we're our own victim, right? We, you know, we, we're our, our worst critic saying, hey, our, our service isn't as valuable as what we think it is. And in reality, it's more valuable than what we think it is in a lot of cases. And I think that's the same thing that uh, you saw with the farmers. You know, she was really worried about it. And, you know, she's doing, you know, spending, you know, $12,000 or whatever annually. And they think, well, that's a lot of money. No one's going to spend more than that. Now she's in the, you know, the high, you said six figures there. Or, you know, it, it's, 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 it's amazing how that, how that works. It's just a lot of psychology and we do it to ourselves a lot of times. You guys, so I'm not a CPA. I think Jamie, you mentioned that at the top. It's amazing to me how much you all know and how much money you can save your clients and how much, how much you can prevent painful uh, potholes. And, but because you all know it inside and out, it's so easy to think to yourself, well, doesn't everybody know this stuff? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that, you know, the rest of us who are not CPAs or accountants don't know this stuff. Right. And my own CPA just, and it just saved me from, you know, sending $30,000 to the IRS by not selling my house before the two-year ownership deadline. I had no idea. How would I know that? I don't study, you know, tax code 179. Like, I don't know where that thing is. There's no way. So, you know, it, it's just this, these small snippets of information. And of course the more complex stuff too, but even just the small ones, I mean, you just prevented me from losing $30,000 from like a total unforced error. Mm-hmm. So don't underestimate. I mean, it's, it's so easy, but be careful not to underestimate the value of everything that you know. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny because you probably, everybody in this audience has probably been in a situation where they've, uh, the client comes to, hey, got the, these five tax things that, you know, I think we really need to take a look at. And you look at it, it's like, yeah, we do that already. We already do that for you. We do that for you. Yeah, we do all these already for you. And you know, it's not like we promote that to them. Yeah, we, we're going to do the one section 179 deduction here. We just automatically do it because that's, we know about it. We, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's common knowledge. It's not a big deal, but for the clients, it is a big deal. You know, they, they do know, they don't know that you're doing that information. And I think that kind of adds to your, uh, adds to your point. Yeah. And I would take that one step further and list out all the ways that you're saving them money so that they know. Because yep. otherwise, you know, most clients don't want to go in the, the crawl space of their business where the desiccated squirrels are. They would just, you know, that's why they hand it to you. So <laughs> otherwise they have no idea what's down there. So you have to show them what the value is. Otherwise they're just not going to know that you did it. Yep. 
Yeah. I also think you made a great point there too, about evaluating your clients. And I think that's something that um, obviously you do with your clients right away, but I also think it's something you need to do at least annually and have a process around it. Cause, cause oftentimes your, your business model changes, you know? So like what's, what's a good client two years ago might not be a good client anymore. And so you want to make sure you understand what a good client is, what's a good gross profit on that client, all the things that make a good client. So that way you can evaluate that annually and, and make it a process. And I think, cause it's not going to happen unless it's a process. And so I think that's something that um, we started to implement that's been really helpful for us is just look through our client base and be like, okay, what is a, which of the clients do we have right now that we would never sell to? That, that's a product we would never sell. That's a service we would never do anymore because we've, we've outgrown them and, and be okay with, okay, we're spending <clears throat> however many hours a month on that one client that we could be spending um, on a client that's more in what, what we do and more of what we, who we are. So I think keeping that process up other than just when you're making this shifting and keeping it going forward is, is important. So um, with that said, I also wanted to say we are right at time here. So I wanted to take a real quick second to throw our email address out there. Um, so it's CP at summitcpa.net. Um, again, cpa at s-u-m-m-i-t cpa.net. So um, we'd love to get more great uh, guests here because obviously we got one from the emails and we're always looking for more. So we'd love to have people reach out to us with topics or um, if they want to be a guest, we're always looking for, for great people. But um, so um, one quick thought from our final thought from each of you and then we'll um, end this podcast. So let's, uh, I'll start with the, the guests and then let Jody and Adam jump in. So any final thoughts for our listeners? So Geraldine, you're up first. Yeah, I'll give um, you mine. It's it's keep your eyes peeled for obvious places to capture value. Perfect. Jody? Yeah, I would say if, if you're in a situation where you're not sure where to go, you know, reach out to Geraldine. You know, she's there to help coach you and, and, and get you out of that uh, that that issue. Perfect. Adam, final thought agree with both of them it's uh you know geraldine uh some of that self-realization is hard for for folks whenever you're in the thick of things so having somebody like you to be able to help you know make you think about these obvious value ads that you can do for your clients uh, i think it's a, a huge win and definitely you know things that uh, jody and i are always constantly in search for so highly recommend somebody reaching out if uh if they're struggling in the day-to-day grind for sure perfect all right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Geraldine, and maybe we'll have you on a future podcast. So really appreciate you just coming on. Thanks to all three of you. It was great to be with you today. Thank you. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving modern CPA firm success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.